you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. At Popular Science, we report and write dozens of science and tech stories every week. And while most of the stuff we stumble across makes it into our articles, we also find plenty of weird facts that we just keep around the office. So we figured, why not share those with you? Welcome to The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week from the editors of Popular Science. I'm Rachel Feltman. I'm Amanda Reed. And I'm Stan Horacek. Amanda, Stan, welcome to the show. Amanda, it's your second time with us. Uh but you were here pretty recently. And Stan, you're an old hat at Weirdest Thing, but it's been ages, so welcome back. Yeah, I hide in the rafters. Like, I'm like the, the Phantom of the Opera. Like, I just we, come up sometimes. We did kind of summon you here when we were figuring out our uh, our mic situations over Zoom. Jess did say, is Stan, Stan, are you with us? And I felt a little bit like we were invoking something, so... Um, I'm glad that that dark ritual worked and that you are back on the show. Give us a sign. (laughs) (laughs) We just all pull out a Ouija board and then um, it's like a Ouija board. But instead of the little thing that they use to do the thing, it's like a camera lens. Right. Yes. Stan does love cameras. I love it. Wonderful tie in. Uh, So before we get into the show, I do just want to share some exciting news for listeners. Uh, By the time you hear this, our next live show will be imminent. It is on August 24th at Caveat in New York City. Uh, You can find details and tickets, of course, in our show notes. Uh, Or if you Google, like, weirdest thing, Caveat, New York City, it'll come up. There are not that many uh, combinations of those words, probably. And yeah, it's going to be super fun. It's our first one in a while and uh, definitely our first one with an actual live audience in person in quite some time, many years. And we're really excited to get back into it. We're going to have special guests, some fun games, maybe some prizes. 
And if you do not live in the New York City area or you're not doing indoor events right now, you can uh, buy a ticket for a live stream of the show. And we would love to have loads of weirdos there for that. And we'll probably, you know, try to do some live stream audience participation the way we did last time. We'll see what we can make happen. But anyway, we would love to have you there. So get your tickets. They may be close to sold out by the time this episode goes up. We'll see. So don't delay. Yeah. Yeehaw. Come have some popcorn and a ginger ale. Yeah, That's what I always true. have there. It's the they best. They have a popcorn flavor topic bar at Caveat. Which is like truly, I, however many types of popcorn topping you are imagining in your head, Caveat has more. They have a greater number of them. So uh, even if you have no interest in a Weirdest Thing live show, which would be weird because you're listening to this, uh, you definitely want want to get that bag, by which I mean that bag of popcorn. So, And my personal recommendation of popcorn topping is anything with chocolate. Mm. You get the mix of the salty and the sweet, and the popcorn provides a really nice fluffy medium. Ooh, like yeah. chocolate-covered popcorn is one of my favorite snacks, and I, I think more people should know about it. Thank you. I appreciate that. We're, we're giving people news they can use here. So let's get into the show. On the weirdest thing I learned this week, we start by each offering up a little tease about some kind of fact or story that we found in the course of reading, writing, reporting, popping popcorn, etc., and decide which one we just absolutely have to hear more about first. Then once we've all had time to spin our little science yarns, we reconvene and decide what the weirdest thing we learned this week actually was. Though a recent amendment to the show after weeks of me complaining about having to pick a winner at the end is that we no longer pick a winner at the end. Do people want me to change the intro? I don't know. I would have to re-memorize the intro, which I already forget half the time. So whatever. Uh, So Amanda, let's hear your tease. Yeah. So my tease is ornithologists play bird chess so you don't get pooped on. Wow. Thank you, ornithologists. Um, Bird chess, too. I I have a lot of questions. So uh, we'll circle back to that. (laughs) momentarily <laughs> Dan what's your teeth yeah uh mine is a uh, the age-old question can a monkey be a professional photographer are, are you going to make the joke that you try to answer that question every day Stan I, I, I do it's it's really <laughs> it's not a question that bodes well for my chosen profession uh but Stan is a very good know. photographer he photographed my wedding <laughs> I'm a big fan of Stan's photography but you also do tend to make those kind of jokes about yourself so and i am i am kind of a, a monkey in a way we all, we all kind of are um, so we are but great apes uh staring up at the stars from the gutter uh maybe taking a photo of it hopefully with a popside.com article by stan horacek telling you how to take a photo of the moon that doesn't <laughs> just look like a white blob <laughs> yeah i i have a really dedicated ape audience for my con my <laughs> photography content so Uh, So my tease is that I'm going to talk about, among other things, uh, how crocodile dung may have been a pretty effective birth control method. Um, Not just because it made people not want to have sex with you (laughs) for other reasons. In Florida, crocodile dung has the opposite effect there, I think, actually. Well, listen... um, I don't. I try not to yuck anyone's yum, so we'll we'll leave it at that. 
Uh, Amanda, why don't we start with bird chess? Mostly, I just, I need to know what it is. (laughs) So bird chess is a phrase that I came up with because as I was getting this script together, I was like, hmm, this kind of feels like chess. So a murderous scene descended on the University of Pittsburgh campus and surrounding Oakland neighborhood in fall 2017. Students and faculty would leave class at the Cathedral of Learning or leave the Carnegie Museum of Art and see hundreds of crows roosting in the trees. Crows have many admirable attributes. They're really, really smart. You can teach them to bring shiny things to your house. And they hold their own funerals, which is really macabre and incredible. However, they are kind of a public nuisance to a university. Their poop shellacked sidewalks, cars, and bus stop shelters, requiring daily maintenance to make sure that it didn't damage property, which bird poop can do, fun fact. Um, It's unsure if bird poop actually has uric acid in it, but which uric acid would be the thing that would damage the property, but just overall, bird poop, not good to have on your car. Not good to have on, you know, a historic building or sidewalks. Or avocado toasts. Also bad there. Or avocado toasts. Exactly. The list of things I would prefer not to have bird poop on is long. Extensive. Additionally, the crows pooped on students and anyone walking on campus. Well, that's good luck, so. Yeah, that is good luck. (laughs) There were moments where you would leave class and think that it's raining, but no, it was just a group poop. I am a victim of a campus crow poop. I was going to a party and waiting for a very specific bus line that only comes every 15 minutes. And I got pooped on right as the bus was approaching. So I rode the bus with bird poop in my hair and I was sitting next to someone and I was like, I hope this person doesn't notice. I hope this person doesn't notice. I immediately beelined to the bathroom to wash it out and not be embarrassed that I rode the bus with bird crap in my hair. Humbling. (laughs) Admirable. Admirable, humbling, a good luck, a good luck charm. I think Pittsburgh needs like a hat sharing system. We need to like have a startup (laughs) where it's like like city- a, a real lice problem waiting to happen. But, yeah, yeah. But I love the concept. Maybe like a like a umbrella sharing, uh, poncho sharing. There you go. Um, yeah, like city bike, but umbrellas for bird yeah. poop. And it's blue. It's Bluetooth enabled with GPS, yeah, so yeah. you know exactly where you walked, and it weighs the crow poop. Um, um, if you're a venture capitalist, call me. Let's make it happen. This is especially a problem considering that fall is a very busy time at Pitt. There are many weddings and choir concerts at Heinz Chapel just behind the Cathedral of Learning, and fall is a popular college tour time. If you thought parents were persnickety asking guides questions about campus housing and meal plans, imagine what they'll want to know about the bird poop that's all over campus. (laughs) I used to give... uh parent and prospective student tours uh when i went to college and i can i can only imagine mostly my questions were how do you make the 16 year old boys do laundry and i would have to say well mom the laundry is free and that's that is the best we can do 
Uh, yeah. Does he know how to do laundry? And there would be silence. And then I would be like, I think, I think this is a, this is the balls in your court. But anyway, you know. And here's the quick aside. Even if they're not 16, I recently, I'm on the apartment hunt right now. Um, and I recently toured a place where I was like, oh, this is so cute online. And it was two dudes living there. And um, no offense, I'm going to obviously keep them anonymous, but um, there was a room that had two closets and I could not get to either of them because there was clothes all over the floor. It was very much a we are dudes in our potentially late 20s, maybe early 20s. I wouldn't be surprised if they were in their 30s. Like we're dudes. We live in this two bedroom apartment and we're dudes. And we leave, we leave cups out. <laughs> we love just cups with, and, and beer cans. Not to stereotype, but this is what I saw. And I think I will need to talk to my therapist about it. Back to the crows. <laughs> so why Pittsburgh? They, crows love to be together and this particular part of oakland has lots of trees for them to roost in there's lots of food in nearby garbage cans and lots of warm buildings they can hang out near because they're in this big roost their bird information sharing has put pittsburgh as their fall winter non-breeding season safe spot that they hang out in they only go so far south from their southern ontario new england base and they've been coming to Pitt's campus since 2013. However, in 2017, the crow poop was just a major problem compared to years past. Crows are scaredy cats, thankfully, so it should be easy to scare them away, right? Wrong! You see, there are beloved peregrine falcons that roost at the very top of the Cathedral of Learning. We can't scare them away! (laughs) I think... The peregrine falcons that were roosting at the time were named Hope and Terzo. We love them. We love, there's um, a falcon cam. Um, I forget who puts it up. It might be um, who I'm going to mention next, but um, it's in the spring and you can just watch the falcons hang out and they're super cute and wonderful. So what to do about this crow falcon paradox? The university sought out the help of the National Aviary in Pittsburgh's Northside neighborhood, which is the country's largest aviary, aka Bird Zoo, and the only one with an honorary national distinction from Congress. So it's called the National Aviary because Congress was like, yep, it's national. The university was like, we'll just play loud sounds to scare away the crows, and they also wanted to play red-tailed hawk sounds, which is a crow predator, but it's also a peregrine falcon enemy. Bad, bad, bad. Bad news bears. No good. <laughs> Other universities like Penn State used fireworks to dispel the crows, but that is a liability in itself, especially in a city, especially when you have, I know like Penn State has a student body, but Pitt's campus is surrounded by other local businesses. I know especially close to where the Cathedral of Learning is, there is a restaurant. So fireworks in a city, good for the summer if you have a nice backyard. Probably not good 
in a university center. <laughs> so this is why I said bird chess at the beginning. It feels very rook can only move this way, a pawn can only do this. There are uh -huh. very calculated decisions to be made. So, with the help of Bob Mulvihill, who was an ornithologist at the National Aviary, a solution was found. Crows don't like great horned owls, and peregrine falcons are like, eh, they're only a problem <laughs> when I'm having kids. So the university placed various small sound systems around the crow roost, played the great horned owl noises, and got them closer to a nearby park, with actually more trees and less light pollution. Yay! <laughs> yeah, that's um, great. A little quick aside about Bob. Bob is an icon and gives excellent quotes like these. So, quote, These communal roosts are not only safer for individual crows, but serve as a crow version of Facebook. It's where they hear about what's going on from everybody. It's where they find out about feeding and roosting opportunities. Whatever conversations they're having, it's happening in those roosts. And, quote, don't worry about crows. To be quite honest, the crows are doing a service in terms of them being the garbage detail. Yeah, I really like to, uh, the idea of when I go outside and I hear crows screaming, they're actually giving like restaurant reviews for like a dis exactly. disgusting old deer carcass on the side of the road somewhere. They're like, Amazing. oh, this place, bad. One star. They don't need Yelp. They just complain, which like I, I can respect. And this story personally is dear to me because I wrote about it in college and it is my magnum opus. Um, I did not peak in college, but this is the best topic I've ever covered. And it never got a single award. And I'm giving it its flowers now, you know, years later as a professional adult woman, because I wish I could be a person who forgives and forgets, but I'm not. <laughs> like a crow. Like a crow! I, uh, when I was in, uh, St. Andrews in Scotland for a conference, right after leaving my full-time job at PopSci, and then I immediately got COVID for the first time there and spent a very miserable week, uh, in a courtroom in Scotland, um, there was a crow who would come by my room every day. And I started yeah. training him with Cool Rich Doritos, and we were great friends. Yes! And, um, you know, then then I left and he presumably moved on with his life. But, um, you know, there were many birds around, many gulls. But this uh, this crow was like we had a connection. He would hop. He would hop along and he would he would like peek out at me. I would see him like jumping up and being like, oh, shit, she's here. Then like pop, pop, pop. And then, you know, I would leave chips for him. And it was great. It was, it was I was so bored. <laughs> I'm like almost in tears thinking about how relieved I was to have this crowd of attention to. So anyway, I love them. Just, just snow whiting. And here's the thing. I feel like crows kind of get a bad rap from the Hitchcock film. Sure. But like there are worse, there are truly worse birds out there. No offense. Absolutely true. Like seagulls, I'm... I beef with all seagulls because I, again, I don't forgive and forget. <laughs> I, I, they stole a sandwich from me when I was a wee young child. And yeah. yes, it was a chaotic sandwich because my mom let me put it together. I think it was just ketchup and white bread, which like a total normal child meal. 
and it took my, my sandwich and my goldfish. Are you sure and that the seagull wasn't doing you a favor? <laughs> this is my question. Honestly, I mean, thinking about it now, probably yes. <laughs> I really hope that seagull is living its best life with my cheap white bread in its tummy. Um, but yeah, seagull's not my friend. People hate on pigeons. Another aside, I personally kind of like pigeons. No two pigeons look alike. And it's really cute when they bob their little heads. Yeah, one has flown in my face before, but also <laughs> one has never pooped on me. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that uh, you could share this amazing story with us. And um, I I give it five stars. So... Yeah, can I, is there a way I can like order one of those owls on Amazon to stop the crows from pooping all over my car all the time? Because like I park under a tree. Well, they and... definitely have, they make like, um, like fake owls, like not the, yeah. no the, the sound box. I'm sure you could rig up Stan, no problem. But uh, definitely there are a lot of barns out there that have just like a random fake owl fake on owl. the top. Yeah, I got to go get one and then throw it at the crows that constantly poop up my <laughs> right, car. Right, that's what they're for. They're, <laughs> yeah. They are to be used as projectiles. Yeah, it's like owls are vaguely football shaped when their wings are in, right? I, <laughs> a nice tight spiral at the jerk crows that keep pooping on my car. So <laughs> They're just trying to shower your vehicle with blessings. It's working. So. <laughs> Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with some more facts. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. 
We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, we're back. And uh, Stan, tell me about some monkey photos, monkeying around. (laughs) Yeah, so just to back up a little bit about how I arrived at this topic uh, is that uh, recently I've been thinking a lot about AI, artificial intelligence. Like every insufferable person you know, I've been thinking about (laughs) AI. Uh, And there's all these really sort of some, some interesting, some tedious conversations about AI from a societal standpoint and from, uh, you know, a cultural standpoint and a technology standpoint. But um, I've been thinking about it in terms of art and uh, more specifically intellectual property, because if AI makes a quote unquote photograph, uh, then who owns it? Because all you did was type into a AI machine and out came the thing. Um, And I was talking to a friend about this and it reminded me of a case from a couple years ago that I covered when I worked at Popular Photography Magazine back in the 2010s. Um, and it all started when literally a monkey took a selfie. Um, <laughs> so back in 2008, uh, a British nature photographer named David Slater traveled to Indonesia. Uh, he wanted to document an endangered species. And I'm sorry when I say this wrong, uh, but the species is called the celibus crested macaques. Uh, does that does that sound right? People who are smarter than me? <laughs> Is that how we think we say that? Okay, well, I'm not going to say it again. So he wanted the, these very endangered monkeys. He wanted to go and take pictures of them. Now, if you've never uh, tried your hand at real nature, like nature photography is easy if you just take a big zoom lens to the zoo and you point it at the animals that can't escape. Like that's the easy way to do nature photography. But the the real professionals, they spend days and sometimes weeks just like sitting next to a tree hoping that animals that absolutely hate them will do something really photogenic in front of their camera it's a lot of sitting around it's a lot of waiting so um part of what you do in order to increase your odds is to set up a remote camera so slater uh set up a remote camera on a tripod he followed around these macaques for two or three days trying to get them used to him so he could get close enough to him to take a picture Uh, Once he had done that, he set up a camera on a tripod and he put what's called a cable release on it. And a cable release is uh, literally a cable that plugs into the camera and gives you a shutter button. So if you want to be a little bit away from the camera, you can hold on to the you can hold on to the cable instead of having to put your eye up right up to the viewfinder. And uh, much to his delight, horror, I I don't know how exactly he felt about it. the the macaques actually started coming up to the camera and playing with it, pushing the buttons, trying to knock it over. Uh, and one of them got a hold of the cable release and started pressing the button because it's a button. You're going to press it, right? That I feel like that impulse is almost universal among primates, right? If you see a button, you want to push it. Um, so Primates and dogs, too. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> I feel like if we showed some crows a button, they would want to push it. Right? Oh, my gosh. There is for oh. sh- there are for sure uh, crow studies involving button pushing. Um, totally. I mean, we were just on a recent episode. We talked about 
parrots learning how to FaceTime each other. So like, wow, listen. Yeah. Yeah. So the macaques, they push the button and one of them, which uh, would later become known as Naruto, uh, took a bunch of selfies. And like this didn't happen by accident. You know, this guy went out into the into the full rainforest. Essentially, he like uh, used a wide angle lens. Wide angle lenses typically have a big glass front element. So the apes could see their own reflection in the glass, which sort of entertained them a little bit, made them curious. He used a wide angle lens. He used a tripod. He used this cable release. He used a flash so that it would look really good. Um, he really set it up for like maximum <laughs> chances that he would get a really cool picture of these monkeys um so once he gets back he's like wow i have these really awesome monkey selfies and as the internet tends to do they they go kind of viral right like if you see a monkey selfie especially one as cool as the one that you see in this story um you're gonna want to share it or make memes out of it or anything else and that uh resulted in some media attention for him so various media outlets reached out to him and you know the reporting is kind of all over the place in some cases they say that the monkeys quote stole the camera and took the selfies um some people got it right some people didn't it, it was kind of all over the place the cheeky monkey narrative <laughs> yes <cool>. uh <laughs> which is always really appealing like people love that when there's like a bird steals a gopro and flies totally, it away yeah, yeah it's you know it's... a squirrel broke into this bar and got <laughs> drunk you know we love love animals getting into trouble yeah and so all of these media outlets are writing about this monkey selfie. And then uh, this is kind of where the intellectual property and the whole monkey as professional photographer element comes up. Uh, in 2011, the images showed up on Wikimedia Commons, right? When that organization only deals with images that are in the public domain uh -huh. or, you know, have similar right. They don't require rights management. Um, and the uploader and the organization their justification was, well, this quote has no human author in whom copyright is vested because it was the work of an animal, right? The the right. monkey pushed the button. In copyright with photography, a lot of times it's whoever pushed the button owns the copyright in, in a lot of cases. And in this case, it was literally uh, an ape. So Slater was like, these are really popular images. I want to keep licensing them. I'd like to continue making money on them and not have everyone just use them for free. So he went back and forth with the organization, but the organization ultimately decided, you know what? We think these are in the public domain, so they're going to stay. Um, you know, Slater, he, he made the argument. He was like, I, I went out there, I brought the camera, like the McCawks would not have gone to Best Buy and gotten a camera and taken these selfies. <laughs> you know, they're not going to get right, in. Like he facilitated it he like composed the conditions of the shot yeah to some and, extent like he they only were able to do this because he was out there and then it became it it became such a um it became such a complicated issue that like they got into the real nitty-gritty of it where slater had to say like well my hand was on the tripod while the monkeys were doing this and it, it became <laughs> like a really really detail oriented just like like every legal battle ever it became exactly as complicated and annoying as you could possibly imagine. Um, <laughs> so in 2015, like this is still go, this, these pictures happened in 2008 and now we're jumping all the way to 2015 and this argument is still going on. So in 2015, the people for the ethical treatment of animals or PETA, as we all know them, um, filed suit 
against Slater on behalf of the monkey, which they called Naruto, claiming that Slater had violated the primate's copyright uh, when he self-published a book on a service called Blurb. So they were saying that, like, he published a book with a photo that belongs to a monkey. Um, a judge threw the case out in January of 2016, but PETA appealed. Then all the parties uh, attempted a settlement where they proposed a settlement where Slater would pay 25% of the future revenue from the image to a conservations uh, organization when he sell, well, you know, when he made more money on it. But then that fell through. And then finally, finally in 2018, uh, the court ruled in favor of Slater. Uh, this They said that the monkeys do not have the capacity to own copyright, sadly. Um, it's still not entirely sorted out <laughs> in terms of what wow. ha what happens. This was like an international in incident. It happened in Indonesia. Um, Slater's from the UK. PETA sued them in the United States because the book was published through Blurb, which is, is in the United States. So it ended up being really wildly complicated. And like, despite the costly impact that this had on Slater, like he had to pay for all these lawyers. Um, he became known as the monkey selfie guy, which is not an easy sort of box to break out of, you know? Uh, and, right. you know, he said that he, you know, in, in comments, since all of this is wrapped up, he said that he's kind of happy that this happened because, um, you know, the goal, his goal was awareness of this endangered species. And, Frankly, the fact that in 2018, uh, a media company actually bought the rights to this that they could option as a movie if they want to. So, you I know, mean, the, I, I don't think they're wrong. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I would watch it. I mean, I would never have heard of the celibus crested macaques uh, if this had not been for this case. And uh, I guess the short version of this is if you do one Google today, make it those monkey selfies because they really are very charming um they are i have to say that um black macaques actually really uh they like trigger a weird uncanny valley thing for me i've definitely talked about this obvious thing before because i don't know why it is and i feel so bad because they are beautiful majestic creatures who deserve our respect and attention and protection and also something about their teeth and eyes being yeah. so human to me really wigs me out so uh i wouldn't want to meet one in a dark alley however uh i i really respect their right to party and take selfies yeah i want to <laughs> amanda handles a lot of our social media over here on popsi on my part of popsi and uh, i think we should book a trip to indonesia and have them be guest instagram hosts oh my gosh perfect oh, absolutely we do an Instagram live with the monkeys. Also, where is Naruto now? How is he? Well, you know what I mean? Is he being protected? Part of the part of the arguments in the case was that um, when they were trying to say, like, please stop suing us about this. They were like, you're suing us for a monkey that you think is named Naruto and you don't even know which one it is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he didn't, you know, he doesn't, you don't know that he's he's happy about the situation that you're using him for, I think it's, uh, you can really get into sort of uh, the issues with that flavor of animal advocacy with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, now 
if you're planning a trip uh, to document endangered animals, make sure they're not the ones who push the button mm. to take the picture <laughs> because you might find yourself in in all kinds of trouble. I really get divorced child vibes from this monkey. Like this didn't this monkey didn't ask to be brought into this court case. You know what I mean? <laughs> it just wanted to live. Naruto just wanted to live his life, you know, doing macaque things. And his name is being brought up in the court of law and he probably doesn't even know. Poor guy. <laughs> cool. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with some more facts. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Right, we're back and uh, it's time for my fact which uh i have to admit i was prepping some other stuff and then i was like hey today is the first birthday of my first book not today the day you're listening to this podcast because it'll be a while from now but we're recording this on may 17th and may 17th 2022 is when i published been there done that arousing history of sex so thanks Woo! book is one book is one can can we can we be absolutely sure that a macaque didn't write the book <laughs> i mean i don't know it was a it was a rough year when i wrote this one so i can't can't really say what happened um the book appeared one day uh in a fugue state but Anyway, yeah, I, uh, you know, there was a time when the book came out where I did like a bunch of stuff about it, all we just saying, but it's been a minute and there are some cool things in here that I haven't brought up on the pod. So I thought I would share a few of my favorites and also just, yeah, remind listeners that uh, if you haven't checked out my book yet, um, there is still time to keep it from getting pulped or something else. Uh, really sad. <laughs> so, and also, I narrate the audiobook. So it's like this podcast, but with me being forced to read words that I wrote down, uh, and it's mortifying, um, including uh, one of the last things we recorded at the very end of the book uh, has James Joyce's letters to his wife, Nora, which are filthy. These people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, yeah. loved These farts. Oh, yeah, he really did. And he loved Nora and, and her farts specifically. And I included a letter where he talks about her specific farts. And um, that was the only point in the whole process of recording the book 
that I was like, this is boredom study. <laughs> like, I'm, I can't believe I have to read this out loud. Um, so kudos to Deep Stories. And if you want to hear that, check out my audiobook. You can get it on Libro FM, which supports independent bookstores. We love that. So I promised I would talk about how uh, crocodile poop was actually a surprisingly good method of birth control, relatively speaking. So some of the earliest evidence we have for like actual deliberate birth control uh, is in 1850 B.C., uh, which is when Egyptian women were known to combine bits of honey, salt, um, and like fabric uh, or like cotton and sometimes crocodile dung into spermicidal plugs. Um, and that like sounds pretty horrifying <laughs> to modern sensibilities um, because just to be clear, we we're talking about them making a like a plug out of the poop, et cetera, and putting it up against their cervixes. However, this was actually probably pretty effective. And I will explain why. And it's not just because you smelled like poop and people were like, I'm fine. <laughs> Maybe I'm just tired. I have a headache. Um, so <laughs> basically, um, having something that physically blocks sperm from getting to the cervix is uh, like a pretty effective, not always perfectly or even highly effective but like a reasonably effective method of birth control because basically like the sperm are out of there like a shot and anything you try to do after the fact to like evict the sperm it's too late so the fasted ones are already like up up doing their business so a, so, a good sneeze isn't going to get them out of there <laughs> exactly <laughs> though okay. many people throughout history tried to use sneezing or similar uh evacuatory measures it really seems like it should work like right like i get it i really sympathize uh, with people throughout history who were like yeah you just get that stuff out but unfortunately some of the stuff has already gone up so can't do it within seconds it's too late so it's like the kentucky derby up there yeah pretty much pretty much so, um, you know, throughout history, there have been many things uh, like douche rinses, et cetera. And it's much more effective, even in its very simple form, to like be blocking the sperm from getting into the cervix. So, of course, uh, condoms are a thing. I'm not going to get into the whole history of condoms. But fun fact, when they first became uh, widely available to the public after the ones that were made out of like animal intestine or linen, um, and were, you know, only so, so effective. Uh, they were made out of like actual vulcanized rubber and you reused them. Like you, you, you washed them. It was like a little, little gimp suit. <laughs> and that really grosses me out, which I don't think is fair to people who were being very responsible and using them at the time. <laughs> Obviously, uh, you can boil and sanitize anything. I have used a menstrual cup. I know that for some reason to still... Maybe I just really don't trust, uh, you know, men in the early 20th century to have been uh, responsibly boiling their reusable contents, but that's just me. So go back to, you know, around 1500 BC, um, people are using this poop, this honey, to make spermicidal plugs. And so first of all, right, it's actually a physical plug. And having something that's kind of like clay-like so that you can really like really 
plug stuff up is good. That's going to make it more effective. But beyond the physical barrier, the crocodile dung would have been acidic, which uh, would have changed the pH of that whole environment. And there are, in fact, modern spermicidal jellies and substances that work to prevent pregnancy by changing the pH uh, to make it less hospitable to sperm. So there's that. Um, There was also the honey in there uh, would have had antimicrobial properties. So that's maybe why people could keep using crocodile dung in this fashion and not getting into trouble. Um, And they also uh, started adding acacia leaves around 1500 BC, which we now know produce lactic acid when they're ground up. And lactic acid, we now know, uh, decreases sperm motility. So uh, basically, taken all together, these recipes we see from like 4,000 years ago were uh, not off base. And of course, uh, we don't have any actual data on how effective they were as birth control. But it's like the the logic is sound and it's reasonable to believe that some people who used this because they didn't want to become pregnant were able to avoid pregnancy because of it. And that's really cool. And also just a reminder that like Uh, Our knowledge of sexual health has been incredibly nonlinear because there have been uh, times and places where people have been like really close to understanding things about as well as they could without like microscopes and cell theory and advanced imaging. Um, But often other people did not care about those things. You know, nobody in 12th century England was going, you know, what was really smart when back in ancient Egypt, they used crocodile dung as a suppository. So, um, you know, my book about the history of sex goes all over the place because so has our knowledge about sex. Yeah, and uh, lactic acid uh, still kind of an effective method of birth control when you get a real bad ha- hammy cramp and you gotta you gotta <laughs> take a break. Wow, so true. Um, <laughs> Lactic and, acid, yeah. also good exfoliator for your face. That's true as well. That's true as well. <laughs> I feel like I imagining the like honey and uh, acacia leaves um, and like salt. Uh, I'm like probably doubled as a face mask. The crocodile dung, I don't know. Maybe like I'm ready to be convinced. I'm ready to be influenced. Probably not actually. But um, there, there weren't many options for a girl on the go. Yeah, it, in 1500 BC, it, it, the whole the whole recipe is very TikTok. Like, sounds right. like a TikTok. Yes. Oh my gosh! Do not let the TikTok girls know about the crocodile tongue. Yeah, it's I do the have next to say. Water talk. Disclaimer: No one, no one put any kind of animal dung um, in your vagina. Really, anywhere in your body. I would say personally, that's my. I would go so far as to make that recommendation. Um, But again, there are um, modern birth controls uh, like uh, Fexi is a new, a relatively new birth control. And that's kind of a a use on demand um, spermicidal gel. And it works by changing the pH um, around your cervix. And um, that's really cool that like that kind of basic mechanism is something that humans probably figured out after a fashion a long time ago. That being said, they also did many things that were very silly and did not work. Um, Stan, because you mentioned sneezing, um, I I do have to mention um, the Lacedaemonian leap, which uh, is supposedly something 
that uh, Hippocrates did, um, or, or rather had patients do. Um, so I talked about this in the book because there's been a lot of debate about how Hippocrates felt about abortion, um, as is the case with like a lot of historical figures who worked in health. There uh, will always be modern people trying to use them as an example of like, you know, even even back in the day, these guys said you shouldn't do this. And um, the thing is, that it's really complicated to talk about how ancient people felt about terminating a pregnancy because their understanding of how pregnancy worked was so different. Um, basically, the line between contraception um, and abortion was way blurrier because they kind of, in most cultures throughout history, didn't really define pregnancy as having started in a meaningful way until like the quickening, like when you could like feel somebody kicking in there, which is pretty far along. And, um, you know, some people will argue that that means like, oh, they literally didn't think the pregnancy started before then. But like they knew they knew it was growing in there. They knew it wasn't like suddenly one day you woke up and and there was a fetus kicking inside you. So all of that is to say it was just way more. It it, it was uh, a very different conversation. The the language was different. The vibes were different. And um, it's also important to note that, like, in a lot of ancient cultures, um, it was considered very acceptable to uh, leave a baby out uh, exposed to to get rid of, essentially. Yeah. And in fact, there's one point in the book where I talk about the fact that Aristotle commented on the noteworthy tendency for Egyptians to, quote, rear all their children that are born. So, like, again, it was just the whole conversation around pregnancy, uh, childbirth, uh, child care was completely different. And um, to to hammer that home, Hippocrates, who, like, supposedly based on some quotes, uh, was against abortion, <laughs> also did this thing called the Lacedaemonian Leap. Apparently... There was a singing girl who was going to lose her financial value because she was potentially pregnant, about to be pregnant. Again, very unclear. They didn't really like when did it start? What happened? And so he instructed her um, to like put her hands on her hips and pull her knees in tight. Not literally, but basically, um, but basically like do like butt kicks up in the air. And he was like, this will dislodge a growing fetus. That is not true. <laughs> but <laughs> he was like, the seed that's growing inside you will be dislodged. And um, yeah, apparently it did. And she was not pregnant and that was fine. And I'm like, did how soon after sex was this? What what was dislodged? Anyhow, that is not actually a way to terminate a pregnancy, but Hippocrates was like, I got this great hack, butt kicks. Um, and that's the Lacedaemonian leap. So. Hippocrates really won. I'm going to run around my Animal Crossing island and just shake the trees to dislodge the fruit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and listen, there, there's lots of stuff like that throughout history. Um, people have found really ingenious ways to uh, influence their sexual health and well-being. And people have done some really, really silly cuckoo bananas things. And the same remains true today. 
And I find that comforting. <laughs> yeah. I still do a version of the, the leap uh, in the form of jumping jacks before I go do heavy back squats so I don't fart a bunch. <laughs> it's the, yeah, it's the same. You're dislodging yeah. the farts. Ancient techniques. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I am... Um, you know, I think I'll I'll save some some other tidbits of the book for for maybe another another time when I'm feeling nostalgic. But uh, listeners, I hope you will check it out if you haven't already. Um, I promise there's some absolutely bonkers stuff in there. Really, really off the wall. People are people are nasty, and I love that about them. Um, <laughs> I've already read the text version, but. Uh... Now I want to get the audiobook in hopes that there's like a Rachel doing a, a horny crocodile voice or uh, <laughs> something else in there. Yeah. I mean, there is me doing a horny James Joyce voice, I guess. So yeah. <laughs> there's that. It's um, also really comforting that James Joyce did both Ulysses, which is like a work yep. of the literature canon, and just like nasty, filthy fart celebrating letters to his I'm pretty sure wife, he Nora. literally wrote the letter in question while he was traveling to write Ulysses or like publishing it. Incredible. Um, so yeah, it's true. Like we all contain multitudes and um don't let anyone tell you that you can't be a great artist because you also love garbage memes or yeah. being horny because yeah. that's what James Joyce did. I can't I can't believe he started one of the letters with uh Sweetheart, start gathering up crocodile dung because I'm on my way home. <laughs> I'm on my way home. And you better be ready. You better pick yeah, it's those true. acacia leaves, yes. honey. <laughs> <sighs> well, as I said, we no longer vote on what the weirdest thing we learned this week was because we're all winners here. Uh, but I loved everyone's stories today. A lot of poop, it's true, um, but also a lot of heart. And listeners, just a reminder... Get your tickets for our live show at Caveat on August 24th. You will see some familiar and lovely faces there. Uh, we'll do some prizes, some games. It's going to be a really good time. So check out the ticket info in our show notes. The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week is produced by all of our hosts, including me, Rachel Faltman, along with Jess Bodie, who also serves as our audio engineer and editor extraordinaire. Our theme music is by Billy Cadden. Our logo is by Katie Belloff. If you have questions, suggestions, or weird stories to share, tweet us at weirdest underscore thing. Thanks for listening, weirdos. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.